Good evening, everybody. As you heard, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Has anybody read through 2 Thessalonians before? One hand, Lewis Knowles, fantastic. Oh, Dr. Mills has. That's good, all right. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, Kirby Smart arrived in Athens a few years ago. And he brought with him some terminology that he learned when he was working for the emperor over in Tuscaloosa. And so he uses the word process a lot. Process. And this is how, this is his approach to building a program. It's a process. Now, it's not a matter of hoping for the best. You're not shooting for the national championship every year. What you're going to do is that you expect the very best out of everybody because every little detail is accounted for and all of the little things are done the right way with the right purpose over time so that the big things just fall into place. You worry about your job, your assignment, and if you do that, we will win the national championship. Don't worry about the championship. It will happen. If you ever seen Georgia dismantle someone in football the past few years, and you wonder what happened, what happened is the other team got processed. <laughs> That's what happened. So it all depends on everybody doing their job. That's how the process works. You have an assignment, a responsibility, and the process depends on you doing your job very well. Every play is a chance for you to do your job. Every single time the ball is snapped, that means you have to do your job. If you don't, the process doesn't work. And your job is simply this, and I'm going to leave out all the expletives, but this is basically the Nick Saban and Kirby Smart teaching. Your job is this. The man across from you, beat him, beat him, beat him until you make his something quit. That's the process. Make him quit. Or if you're thinking on... Basically, uh, zone defense, you know, in football, if you're on zone defense, that means you're not covering one man. It means you have an area of the field, and that's your responsibility. And if the ball comes in there, you get it. If a person comes in there, you cover them. And the idea is that that's your little world, and you live right there, and you dominate your little world. What I'm telling you tonight is that when you go home and you look in a mirror, there's a man or a woman looking across from you in that mirror and I want you, I'm not talking about your spouse, I'm talking about you. I want you to dominate that person, that person's flesh, that person's desires. I want you to dominate them. And you can with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you in your life to realize that your little world right here inside your chest is something that you have a little control over when you have the Holy Spirit. And with that, I'm telling you, this little world right here, dominate it. Dominate this little world. So sometimes the consequences of the process are not really what we want. And the, you know, the preparation to get there is an absolute struggle. And when you're in the process, you know, it doesn't always seem like you're on the right track. In fact, sometimes it doesn't seem like things are getting better. Sometimes it, things like, it seems like things have gotten absolutely worse because now you've changed and now you're in a struggle. And now seems, things seem like, I don't know if this was worth it because I'm in a struggle now. Here's the deal. In the end, if you commit, there is a reward. In the end, if you commit to it, there is a reward. So trust the process. 
Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and the Thessalonians have undergone some severe persecution. Since his first letter, they've been persecuted even more, and now they've got some fake news that we're going to cover in chapter 2 next week. But Paul's message to the Thessalonians is basically this. Trust the process. Trust the process. And his process of encouragement starts with this. Persecution. Let's go to verse 3. Pick up in verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So Paul likes to use a lot of duets. If you ever read a lot of Paul, you know, he, he likes to do things in twos. So if we went back to verse 1, from verse 1 all the way to verse 5, here you'll find this. Father and Lord, grace and peace, brothers and sisters, faith and love, perseverance and faith, persecutions and trials. Paul comes in twos a lot of times. And here's his dichotomy for chapter 1. Here's his two. The world and the kingdom. That's what Paul is presenting to you in chapter 1. His two, his main two. The world and the kingdom. So Paul is telling the Thessalonians that to suffer here in the world is to be worthy here in the kingdom. Suffer here and be worthy. Remember what I said, that if you commit to this process, in the end, there is a reward. So let me ask you something. What's wrong with your life? Seriously, take stock of it. What is wrong with your life individually? The thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that bothers you, the thing that you regret, the thing that when a preacher talks in church that something stabs you in the chest and twists the knife a little bit. What is wrong with your life? Is it a trial or a persecution of this world? If it is, then struggle against it for the kingdom of God. Okay? Now take stock of that again. Is that instead God challenging you, correcting you, and persuading you to come His way? If it is, then stop struggling against Him. Got me? Are you part of the kingdom of God? Are you part of the kingdom of God? If not, then let me tell you, you have the opportunity to do that even tonight. You can do it. And all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. And I hope we will present him very gloriously here. Although Paul is going to use some words that's going to get to you. And I'm talking about twisting that knife. It may get to you if you do not know him. But what I want you to know tonight is that you can know him. You have the opportunity. And at the end of the service, come see me. Come see one of the pastors and ask some questions. And I promise you'll find him. All right. Are you part of the kingdom of God? If you are then you should expect a trial or two. Don't yearn for the lap of luxury. You need to embrace the lack of luxury, right? When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all, all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame will not hurt you, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Embrace the lack of luxury, that's his message to the Thessalonians, and that's what I want you to do tonight. 
embrace it because His grace is all sufficient. Okay, Paul says in verse 5, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Well, what does he mean when he says all this at the beginning? All this is evidence. Well, it, it's drawing from verses 3 and 4. All of this. And the summary of verse 3 and 4 is basically this. Your faith is growing and your love is increasing, maybe in spite of, but probably through persecutions and trials. And that's evidence that God is right. The fact that your faith is growing and your love is increasing may have some sort of correlation to your persecution. Okay? In fact, it, it, one of these may actually cause the other. You are followers of Christ, and so you are in a struggle with your own sin, with your flesh, with the world. You're in a struggle with it. If you are in a struggle, good job, because that means you're worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, hard times do not necessarily indicate that God is against you. You may be exactly where He wants you to be. Hard times does not mean that God is against you. For example, this weekend uh, I was with a buddy and he had some theological issues that he was wrestling with and he was trying to basically become a better Christian and something came on him and he said, look, uh, I want to know Scripture better. I want to understand. I can cite all these verses. I don't understand a lick of it. I want to be a better church member. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. And I don't know how to follow Christ deeper, but I want to do this. And so basically, I, I stepped on his toes a little bit and offered him a challenge. And I told Liz, I said, look, either he's going to harden his heart to this, or he's going to take it on and he's going to grow. All right? Well, by Monday, he decided to grow, by the way. So Monday, he had enough of it, and he called a pastor up and said, look, we, let's meet. I'm, I'm ready to grow as a Christian. Guess what happened that afternoon? His nanny quit. <laughs> he and his wife both work, and they've got all kinds of kids to take care of, and now they have no nanny. And I, I called him up. I said, you realize you did this to yourself, right? Because you decided to commit to the process. You put your foot in here. You decided to grow. And now you're being stretched. There are growing pains. You decided to grow. <laughs> he chose to grow in faith and increase in love. The world doesn't like that. So cue the trial. It was inevitable. Hardened times do not indicate that God is against you. You may be exactly where he wants you. It's all part of the process. Trust the process. Because after persecution comes payback. Let's pick it back up in verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On that day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony. God is 
just. Now that's a two-edged sword. That afflicts and comforts. Just like His Word, it tends to afflict the comfortable and it tends to comfort those who are afflicted. Now the Thessalonians are being afflicted. So God's justice is a source of hope. Christians derive hope in Him and His justice. Unbelievers find no comfort in Him. They look at our religion and they see judgment. We look at the cross and we see that judgment's already been settled. Payment's already been taken care of. Justice has been served. So we don't fear the payback. The score has been settled. There's no fear of payback because every bit of punishment that we have stored up was taken from us and it was paid off. So if you're hearing this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you can avoid this punishment from God. You can. You do not have to be verse 9. You can be verse 10. You do not have to go through the punishment of disobeying Christ. You do not have to be eternally separated from this holy God. You don't have to do that. You have the opportunity actually now. And all you have to do is turn from your sin and believe that He is who He said He was. You can be right with Him. You can be certain of your good status with Him. He will adopt you into His family, seal you, and He will never leave you. So whatever you've done that deserves that punishment, it can be forgiven because God is just. And a sinless Savior has died so that you might live. Justice has been served for you. And I want you to accept it. All that is required of you is to repent and believe. Christ who died, your soul to save, and then on the third day rose from the grave. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul has been counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. You can be pardoned too. And he's telling these Thessalonians, you who are pardoned, you don't have to worry about this payback. But for the unrepentant, the unbeliever, the persecutor, man, trouble's coming their way. And Paul tells the Thessalonians, okay, don't worry about your fate. Don't worry about the fate of the oppressors. If you will just persevere by growing in faith, increasing in love, well, God will take care of them and they will have their reward. You will have your reward. Commit to the process. In the end, there will be a reward. And God will deal with those who trouble you, however severely he sees fit. So persevere through persecution. There will be a payback. Struggle in this world and be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. How about this application? Live like no one else so that later you can live like no one else. Trust the process. All right, check out the language in verse 9 one more time. Okay, you're ready. They will be punished with everlasting destruction 
and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Persecution breeds payback. But instead of waiting for this kind of hammer to fall, we actually have something to do in the meantime. Part of the process. Everlasting destruction can be avoided. Persecutors can find themselves as part of the kingdom of God. Paul himself is an example of this. He was the persecutor and then turned around and wrote most of the books in the New Testament. How's that for repentance? If you don't know Christ, by the way, tonight, or if you're struggling with your relationship with him, I'll tell you this. Paul made a repentance and wrote most of the, new, the books in the New Testament. I'm asking you, you who are not a persecutor, you who are just unrepentant, what will God do with you if you just turn around and trust him? Just turn around. Believe in him. What's he going to do with you? Instead of resigning these unbelievers to this terrible fate of verse 9, we actually might be able to do something here. We can bring them into the process, if God wills it, so that the final section of this chapter, but the central portion of this process is this, prayer. There's persecution. There's payback. But there's prayer. Let's go back to verse 11, to the end of the chapter. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. How much is he praying? Constantly. You know, uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I, I think uh, a prayer a day keeps the devil at bay. There's kind of two, two aspects of that. One, a prayer a day may keep the devil at bay because, you know, at least you prayed and, well, then you're fighting that darkness. So keep them back because you prayed. Here's another one. If you're only praying one time a day for that two and a half minutes for that little checklist that you got and then you're done with God for the day, why in the world does the devil need to mess with you? He has no reason to get troubled by you. You're not causing him any trouble. Yeah, you know, I, I prayed yesterday. Good. Yeah, he has no reason to mess with you. We pray constantly for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. That God may make him worthy of his calling. So he doesn't pray for their safety. He doesn't pray for their health. And check this out. He doesn't pray for persecution to stop. He could say, I'm praying constantly that these people would stop persecuting you. These Greeks, these Roman influences, the Jews around you are probably doing this. I'm praying constantly that God would stop them from persecuting you. No. He doesn't ask them to be wealthy. Paul just says this, be worthy. And you can look back at verse 5 and see what that means. What does worthy mean? It means you're struggling. It involves a struggle against sin for the kingdom of God. Now look at the second part of this prayer. Okay, that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Now, when is the last time you ever heard someone pray like that? 
that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Actually, Joe Benfield, I think, said those exact words to me like two weeks ago. But other than Joe and Paul, I'm not really accustomed to hearing that language. But we know from Scripture that prayers, this kind of prayer right here, that's lining itself up with God's will, those kind of prayers have a 100% success rate. 1 John 5.14 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears it. So we must pray to make His desires our desires. Okay? And then what is this? For every desire for goodness, so we need to pray for holiness. And what else? Your every deed prompted by faith. So as our faith grows, we need to pray it into action according to his power. So pray for holiness and then put it into action. That's the struggle. All right, so at this point in the process, you're not just uh, along for the ride, right? You've got your hands on the steering wheel a little bit. Okay, now pray, prayer is acting like your GPS. It is guiding you because when you put your desires in line with his, then all of a sudden your prayer starts to lead you where he wants to go. All right, so let me ask you this. If I'm asking directions to Atlanta, okay, you could probably give me pretty specific instructions. You know, well, you can get out here on the Jefferson Highway, take that up to Brazelton, left on 85, straight until you step in it. All right, you can go down 78 to Monroe, go over to Conyers, 20, 316, 85, boom. Okay, you get pretty specific. Now, if I ask you this, okay, how do I get to Toronto? It may be just you know, beneficial if you say, well, go north. Okay, <laughs> that's right. If I ask you, how do I get to the United Kingdom? It's still a correct answer if you say, well, get a boat or go by plane. That's how you get there. That's still a good answer. Okay, now you see that these, these directions are determined by the destination. Your answers are changing. So here you go. Who knows this one? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You practice. That's right. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You practice, practice, practice. It's a sufficient answer. Well, you've heard that practice makes perfect. When I was in the Redcoat band, we had, a, we had a phrase. It wasn't practice makes perfect. We used to say, practice makes performance. Okay? How you practice determines how you perform. Practice bad, you're going to play bad. If you practice like the best, you will play like the best. But just as practice makes performance, so prayer makes perseverance. When you think of persecution, how you pray determines how you persevere. Neglect your prayers and watch yourself wither. Okay, that prayer day keeps the devil at bay. Feed your prayers and watch yourself grow. Your perseverance through persecution relies on your prayers. Praying is your sole responsibility in this process. You can't determine when persecution comes. You probably can't stop it. And you have no say in when payback is coming, when the Lord wants to bring that payback. But you can pray. That's when your hands are on the wheel. You can pray. So how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. How do you persevere through persecution? Pray. 
How do you endure trials? Pray. How do you grow in faith? Pray. How do you increase in love? Pray. The Thessalonians prayed. Paul sure prayed. And we must as well. So the Christian life is a process. It takes work. It takes preparation, study, sacrifice. Now praise God that the Spirit works on us and that the Son finished the work for us. So all we have to do is trust the process. We don't manufacture it. All we have to do is trust the process. Persecution may come. Payback may linger. So pray. And right here with the heart, dominate your little world. Whatever persecution you have, dominate it. So God told Cain back in Genesis, right, that sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you. It wants to devour you. But you must master it. You must rule over it. So Christian, persecutions and trials are at your door. You who struggle in this world, you who are worthy of the kingdom of God, persecutions and trials are at your door. But you must rule over them. You must beat them. So what sin is still frustrating you? Remember that question, what's wrong with your life? What sin is still tripping you up? What bothers you? What do you still regret in your life or something about yourself? What's wrong? Beat it. Every time you think about it, pray. Push back the darkness. Every night, every day, every down, every play, dominate in the name of our Lord Jesus, who has already given us victory. So go win over sin. Stand firm, persevere, and you too, just like the Thessalonians, will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. You can do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for counting us worthy of the kingdom.